Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. Those big challenges around the world are actually opportunities um, so you just got to find the problem you want to solve that aligns best to who you are as a person, what you believe in and what you love. Um, that'll that'll help you feel good about being persistent over time so you don't get frustrated. And, you know, e- everyone's going to go through ups and downs. So one of the most important things is it's not easy. And you have to understand that it's also not a sprint. It's a marathon. So it takes time. So you have to have persistence. And with persistence, you have to have patience. The Product Startup, episode 29. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, helping you turn ideas into successful products step-by-step. With your host, Philip Valitza. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me again. In the last show, we talked with Lisa Ruiz. She's the founder of Credible Products, and she took over the family janitorial cleaning supply business and expanded it into the consumer market. So while that doesn't sound that exciting on the surface, we got into talking about how she got into HSN, the home shopping network, and how she changed up those products to make sure that she differentiated from what was existing on the market. I think cleaning supplies are pretty competitive. And so I thought the show was interesting because we really got to dive in to see how she did some of her testing and market differentiation. Before we get started, I really wanted to highlight one reviewer on iTunes. BM Rossum wrote in, what an offer as an amateur inventor and an at-home prototype builder who one day hopes to make it big. This podcast is one of the most helpful that I have found. By talking to a variety of insiders, Philip shares great insights covering all aspects of the business, design, prototyping, development, funding, marketing, and more. I look forward to each week's episode and highly recommend this to others with product ideas. So thank you again, BM Rossum. I super appreciate your note as well as everybody else's. I take everybody's input and I try to create a better show every week. So thanks again for your advice. Now on to today's episode. So today I talk with Adam Force. He's the founder of Change Creator, which is a digital magazine and a resource for social entrepreneurs. I wanted to talk to him today because I've always wanted to make a larger impact in the world. And I always thought that one of the ways of doing that was to earn a lot of money. And then when I have a lot of money, give that money away. And so through this conversation with Adam, we kind of explore this tug of war relationship between one hand of pure capitalism and on the other social responsibility. So if you're curious about building a business that has a social twist, you'll definitely want to listen. So let's get started. Hi, Adam. Thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, Philip. Uh, I appreciate it, man. It's an honor to uh, chat and share my stories. So I'm excited. Let's get rocking and rolling. Great. So look, I'm just going to dive in. I know that you and your wife took a trip to Costa Rica. And while you were there, you had this epiphany to create some social driven work to go out there and really make a change in the world. Uh, Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, like like so many so many entrepreneurs, you know, the travel thing is such a can be such a powerful experience that spurs the opportunity to kind of you know 
sit with your thoughts, uh, see different cultures, um, and just have these epiphanies. Uh, I've always been a little bit of an activist at heart, um, but my mindset, I don't know what it was that jolted me, but sitting out there, I'm in this almond cove where the rainforest meets the beach. It's completely remote. And coming from, you know, New York, Philadelphia, um, we were out there in the middle of nowhere. I felt like I was on another planet. Um, and seeing just how pristine and, you know, beautiful everything was, it really just offers this opportunity to to start wondering and thinking about, well, you know, why am I doing what am I doing? Um, is this where I want to be in 10 years? And all these crazy thoughts. And you also just see how delicate nature is. And, and then you think about what we're doing to it and the problems and you're like, wow, we really got to protect what we have. It's so amazing. And um, so, you know, it really just kind of, I think, escalated my activist uh, inside me. And so I came back and I was on a mission, man. I was, I was eager to work for myself. I was eager to uh, do something that was important um, and that just made me feel good to wake up in the morning. I call it the Christmas effect where it's like, you know, are you wake like a kid waking up and waiting for Christmas morning every day? Because if you're not, you're, you're not living the life that you're excited about. Right. So um, I really delved into those things and I was researching it. But at the time, there was not a lot of social entrepreneur uh, insights, no classes and, you know, magazines or anything like that. So for me, I finally found this one book. But it was a struggle, um, and the book was "Making Good" by Billy Parrish, and he's on the second uh, cover of our our second issue. And um, so that was that was like the the kickoff for me. And um, you know, moving forward, it just grew into this idea. After dabbling, I was like, I tried rainforest protection, and I tried hemp water bottles because I can't stand the the plastic pollution issue. Um, and there's so many other things. I didn't know what direction to go. I didn't know how to get started. It's a very different path: social entrepreneurship versus business entrepreneurship. Um, and then obviously it's a very different path working for a corporate gig and then going into starting up on your own. So you're like in a whole new world. And so finally, after dabbling for about, I don't know, it's like four years of messing around. I even started my own, um, conscious news blog, the blue.post.com. And, um, and that was just because I didn't know where I wanted to focus my attention. So I was talking about everything basically. And um, I, I was a big on self-development and I know I knew at the time that for me to be more successful on my own, I needed to con continuously help myself uh, grow and develop through education and things like that. So I was always reading books. I was listening to podcasts uh, on a daily basis. And I always carried a small notebook with me to write down my ideas, write down my thoughts and all these different exercises. Um, and finally, I came across this, this podcast where uh, they were talking about a successful digital magazine about entrepreneurship. The audience apparently was asking the founder, uh, Nathan Chan. He's a great guy, and he has an awesome magazine, Founder. And um, he said they were asking for more interviews about social entrepreneurship uh, with social entrepreneurs. So for me, the bell went off because I have a ton of experience over 15 years in the professional business world creating strategies for, for major companies, whether it was Walgreens, Excedrin, or Dove, or whatever it is. Um, and so I have these skills around business development, design, user experience. Um, and so for me, I was like, great. So maybe I'm not the actual social entrepreneur, but I, 
I can fill the void that was there, meaning information, connecting people with these social entrepreneurs, and I can help that category grow because it's so important. And it's about nurturing a mindset of how we approach business and the reason why we're actually starting a business. So I'll, I'll pause there, but that's, that's kind of like how that all evolved. Wow, that's a really involved story. I think we could definitely uh, pick apart a lot of those details and get sure. into some of the nuts and bolts. Mm. So why is creating a business that has a social component so important now or, or something that is bigger than yourself? Because you could argue that anyone that's creating a business now, one of the typical responses back from people that are creating businesses is, mm. hey, I'm, I want to create this business so that I can have some money so then I can then use that money how I want. Mm -hmm. And one of those, the directions that I want to take with my money is to give it back to a, a cause that I believe in. Well, yeah, so you can give it to a cause, but there's a difference in you know NGOs, charities, and social entrepreneurship. And it really becomes a mindset thing. So if they're approaching a business because they want to make money and later do something with it, um, that is, you know, the mindset of I want to make money. And when you do that, that's very different. Your actions that result from that mindset are going to be very different than the actions of I want to solve this problem and I want to change those people's lives. If you take those two paths and start seeing the types of actions you're going to create as your your goals to get to those endpoints, right? So the social entrepreneur, when they're starting to think, well, I want to impact these lives. I want to solve this problem. They are more inclined to take actions that create a byproduct of money, you know, and you're going to hear people like Richard Branson um, and a bunch of others like Blake McCoskey. Um, they're going to tell you at the same time, you know, as long as you put people first, people before profit, then you're going to be very successful in a very sustainable long-term format. So the most important thing for any business is really to approach it with people first in mind, and then you're going to find greater success. Can you be successful just aiming for money? Yes, but the result is very different for the person and for everybody in the world. Yeah. So let's take that another step further. Yeah. What if you're looking at your social cause and that is your main focus? And if, if it's not profitable, if it's not sustainable, mm -hmm. then you you haven't really helped the people that you wanted to help. Yeah. So let's create a point of clarity. And that is when you're creating a business that is designed for a specific social cause or environmental cause, money is part of your business plan. It has to be there. So it, it can't be a lost thought. It has to be something that is part of the plan. So you have to have a, a model for, you know, um, creating revenue. That's, you know, so there's no argument there, but there's a difference in focusing on that versus focusing on the actual impact. So it's just a, it's a very simple shift. And when we're talking about social entrepreneurship, I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways I look at it and, you know, we are focused on social entrepreneurship, but honestly, we're open to anybody that's creating a business that is doing something that actually contributes back. It, it helps alleviate a problem or solve a problem um, that is social or environmental. But the traditional social entrepreneurship definition is, you know, through Ashoka and Skoll Foundation, is that it is somebody that is creating system change. So they're they're shaking up the equilibrium of a system. And that's big, you know, that is like 
changing how cultures think. And for example, when I mentioned, you know, you can say, I want to give to a charity or a cause. That's great. But if you look at someone who's supporting poverty as an NGO or a charity, they are alleviating pressure from a problem. But until they actually get to the, if you, if they're not looking at the root cause and, and we need people to do that, they're doing wonderful work. We'd have to address the immediate right now and alleviate the problem, but it's a bandaid, meaning the, the actual system change, the equally equilibrium shakeup would be if you look at, well, what's actually causing what in our system, in our structure, economic structure or our policies is actually creating this poverty in the first place? And how do I actually change those policies in that system so that now as an output, there is no poverty? So, you know, you see the difference there. So instead of just saying, here's some money, here's some food. Now you can eat and now you have a house. Great. But still, poverty will continue to populate more and more and more because we're not changing the actual cause of poverty. So I think it's just those differences there. Do you think that you have to have a particular skill set to go into social entrepreneurship? Or do you think that anybody can just kind of make that shift in the mindset as you talk about? I think everybody has the entrepreneurial fire in their belly. And I think it's in human behavior and nature to want to help people. Um, so I think that it's just a fire that needs to be lit. So my answer is that anybody can do this. Um, and I think we're seeing that transition. More people today are interested in doing meaningful work, feeling a sense of fulfillment. And that comes from giving and that comes from helping and solving problems. So, you know, as kids are growing up, the younger generations, the question is, is shifting from what do you want to be when you grow up to what problem do you want to solve? And there's a big difference in, in that mindset there. But um, I think anybody can do it. It's just um, a matter of, you know, you, what happens too is, you know, there is conditioning. We're from day one, all these stimulus, the stimulus around us, the conditions in, the, in life are actually shaping our behavior and how we think. So if everything around us is saying money, 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 the economic system, profits most important, then that's the mindset you're going to grow up with until something jolts you, right? You have this other experience, another stimulus that's going to make you think differently. But, you know, so it's just a matter of that person coming across experiences and information and things that will help shape um, their behaviors that way. So they can be anything they want to be. No, that's uh, no, that's a very good point. And I think to maybe drive this home, we could give a couple examples of the people that you speak with on your show. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can bring up Gavin Armstrong or Kenton Lee that you had recently on your show and talk about yeah. their businesses really quickly so we can kind of relate to, to the types of problems that you're talking about. Because you're not just saying, hey, you need to go out there and cure cancer or solve world hunger. These are very specific, targeted, focused problems that you can have a huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. And they're doing just awesome work. And I, I idolize what they're doing. Um, so hopefully it inspires other people too. And that's the idea. And they give a lot of good tips. But um, Gavin Armstrong is one of our most recent um, you know, interviews that we released. And basically, there is a problem, which I didn't was so big and I worked in healthcare for, for a long time, but 3.5 billion people around the world are suffering from vitamin D deficiency. Um, and that can cause all kinds of problems and complications with pregnant women that can cause tiredness, fatigue, dizziness, like all kinds of issues that translate into bigger and bigger problems throughout these cultures and populations. 
So when he was in Cambodia, again, travel experience, um, you know, his partner was um, he who is now a partner, this doctor um, that was studying uh, water filtration systems or something like that. Um, you know, he found this problem and he was like, wow. So long story short, he came up with a solution, which was they need more iron, obviously. But how do you do that? How do you give that to them? And so what they came up with this lucky iron fish. And so, you know, while he went back to medical school, um, Gavin was like, hey, let's let's create this as a, a business and start helping these people by solving this problem. And so using Cambodia as their initial market, um, <clears throat> they created this lucky iron fish and it was a different name when it started. I forget what the original name was, but it wasn't the shape of a fish. It turned, they, from a business strategy standpoint, they changed it because a, a fish over there in Cambodia means like, you know, good luck. And originally with the original style and name, nobody would use it. And then when they changed it to the fish, they started using it. So long story short, you cook with it, you put it in your water and it just gives five years of use with this one little iron fish and it solves all their their uh, uh, their deficiency problems. So you know, there you go. Now it's going to start. Now the idea of a social entrepreneur, they're changing that culture's you know health issue, their primary health issue. He's scaling the business. Now it's going to other cultures around the world, and it'll go global. And each one's going to have to have a. They're going to take a look at it and say, you know, how do we address this culture specifically? How do we brand it and kind of all that stuff again? But um, yeah, super super. What seems to be a super simple thing, you know, he took it and he's helping people all over the place now. So it's a pretty incredible story. That sounds like a really great story, especially since, like you said, the solution is relatively simple. The product itself has no moving parts. It's a single piece yeah. of iron that you could technically get made almost anywhere in the world. And it's making a huge impact. Well, and everything they do, the iron they get is all like sustainable, like repurposed iron that's like super healthy and all that kind of stuff. So they also part of this is like they're looking at the whole chain of production. You know, how what is the product? Is it healthy? We're not using, you know, poor materials. Is it hurting the environment? And, you know, all those things are considered throughout the whole process of it. So as you've interviewed a lot of these entrepreneurs, small business owners that have created some of these big products, have you seen a common thread in either how they behave or some of the qualities that they have as owners or, or people that have created this massive change? Um, I, I, you know, I think that part of it is they're inspired. I'm going to say almost 50 to 60% of the people I've spoken to are inspired by their travel. So I think it's really important to go out and see what's going on around the world. Now, technology, so that that's one common thread is a lot of experiences inspired by travel, but also they have like their life usually is surrounded by conditions that um, are related to what they're doing. So, you know, you can do whatever you want in this world, but at the end of the day, the timeline will be a lot faster if you're kind of using the skills you have, the experience you already have to to do something. So they're already in these in, these conditions and environments, just like Malika Dutch. She was living in India. She's dealing with human rights violations against women. And now she's solving that problem on a huge scale, changing the whole mindset of cultures around India um, through, you know, using pop culture media. Who would have thought? And so the common thing I, I think they have, too, is courage. It's a huge common characteristic. 
when you hear the story from Malika Dutt, you just got to scratch your head and say, wow. I mean, the, the, the risk she took in pursuing her ideas and believing in herself and solving this problem were incredible. And even, you know, Gavin and all these other guys, Kent and Lee, they're going into unknown markets. So part of being a social entrepreneur is likely you're going into an unknown market. Nobody has created shoes that grow like Kent and Lee. And, and how do you know that's going to be a successful business? No one's made an iron fish that's going to support you know, this health issue around the world. So these are all unknown markets. Um, so it takes a lot of courage to pursue these ideas and test them and go through those failures and experiences. But when you have uh, what they have is in addition is persistence, persistence, believing in what they're doing and having the courage to take the risk. Yeah. It's all really good points. And I think even if you don't go into social entrepreneurship, you need a lot of those same qualities to succeed. You do. Yeah, you do. I mean, those are characteristics for, for any entrepreneur, for sure. And a lot of other business entrepreneurs, though, you're not going into unknown markets. That's a big variation there. But you're right. A lot of it is true um, across the board, for sure. Hey, so the good news is if you already have a business that is selling a product, there's hope for creating a product that meets a social need, you know, to go out there and make a real impact in the world. So yeah. would you say that's a, a good avenue for somebody that's already in business or is already selling a for-profit product to maybe create a non-profit angle or a non-profit product? Or do you think it needs to be a completely standalone company to be successful? No, I don't think it needs to be standalone. It's whatever you want it to be, really. So you look at Jackie Berglund. She was on our fourth issue cover. And she um, she is essentially doing what you call like a, it's like a, a hybrid um, of non-profit and for-profit. So she created a for-profit beer business, okay, because it's like she had uh, experience with a friend that ran a bar and all this kind of stuff. Um, and she has a pretty incredible story too. But she then created a nonprofit, and she uses 100% of her revenues um, post uh, expenses, obviously, um, to support her nonprofit. Okay. So she's basically using both businesses to accomplish an ultimate overarching goal, support her life. And obviously the people that work for her and then all the other hundred percent profits you'll see on her website, they go towards the nonprofit and that is going towards feeding families. So it's changing how business is used in order to help people, um, with their, with, uh, lack of food. She helps like so, food shelves. So that's interesting. Is is any part of the beer component of the business used in the food? I mean, does she? No. So it's two completely separate arms that basically you're just taking funding from one and moving it to another. Correct. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. She's a, a B Corp. I guess that's the new big thing, the beneficiary, like B Corp status. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even know about that. That's, that's to identify businesses that are based on like doing this type of work, this kind of do good work. You you mentioned that you had some products that you started that didn't quite work out. Uh, can you kind of, <laughs> do you mind going through some of those? Because I, you know, I think we can certainly all learn from, and I don't like to use the term failure, but I use it yeah. as a, as a test that you get data back from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I had to figure out my own path and figure out what made sense for me. And I started, I was so frustrated with plastic pollution because when I was out in Costa Rica on these remote beaches, I mean, there's just nobody out there. I'm walking down the beach and I see all these little speckles and I'm like in the sand, I'm like, oh, okay. And I pick it up 
And I'm looking at the sand and actually there was little plastic particles in the sand. I was like, man, you got to be kidding me. So I'm looking at that and that's just really frustrating because there's really no one out there to pollute the beach. So it's just washing up from the ocean. Um, you know, and just for example, 300 million tons of plastic are produced every year, probably more now. I, this is maybe me two years ago doing research, three, four years ago. Um, and, you know, over 6 million of those, those uh, go to the ocean. Um, so a lot of plastic in the ocean. Um, I was super frustrated. It's a product that can't is not biodegradable. Maybe over a thousand years it might break down. Um, but we are making so much of it on a regular basis. And now, now I ask you, Philip, when you go throughout your day, start paying attention to every piece of plastic that comes across you throughout the day, whether it's the wrapping on food or it's your K cup for coffee or anything. All that plastic, always going to be here, never going away and just piling up. So I tried to, I was doing research on this topic and I saw this kid made a hemp water bottle concept and he won awards for it. It was in hemp magazine, all this stuff. And so I was like, that's a great idea. But he got stuck on a certain area. And I forget, it was something about how, oh, it was the, the hemp water bottle would absorb water over time. So I, I found a solution to that problem. And I started investigating like how to manufacture. And I spoke to hemp experts and it came across through a lot of complications. And I had no experience in setting up like manufacturing and the science of like, you know, polyether, polyurethane and all this other plastic technology and stuff. So you know, it, what happens too is to do that, you have to go into a, even if you go to a plastic manufacturing um, uh, warehouse or whatever, you'd have to change the entire system to function for hemp molding versus plastic. So, you know, you'd have to raise a, a bunch of money to, to do this. And I was like, ah, I don't have the expertise. And I honestly, I started a Facebook page. I started doing all kinds of stuff around plastic pollution. But after a while, I was like, I just didn't feel like it was the right fit for me as much as I, it was a passion. So I moved on to this blue dot post, um, conscious blog, conscious news blog. Like I said before, I wanted to talk about the plastic pollutions. I wanted to talk about political issues, you know, rainforest issues, you name it, everything. And I didn't know how to do it other than this conscious news blog. So started writing articles every day. And my, I had a bunch of ideas on how I wanted that to evolve. I had a writer, a couple writers working with me and um, I pursued that for about a year and a half or two years. And then after a while, um, that's when I came across this podcast with the magazine for um, entrepreneurship that mentioned the stuff about uh, people wanting more interviews with social entrepreneurs. So those, I think those are the two big things um, that really led me. And just to give you a little bit of info, I, I did actually run a record label as well, which is way off topic, but it, it contributed to what I do today because that's when I forced myself to learn how to uh, do graphic design, music production. Um, you know, we had a lot of success with the record label and I learned a lot of skill sets that now apply to what I do today. So a lot of it was just me figuring out where direct, what direction to go. And then finally, when I heard that podcast, I was like, listen, this is something that's more in my wheelhouse based on my skill sets, um, you know, doing rainforest protection. I set up um, a lot of info and Facebook pages and did all that, even Instagram page and all that. Um, but I had no expertise in, you know, reports like, you know, science, all that kind of stuff. And so it was a very long, slow uh, road. 
So for me, doing something like the magazine, I know design, I know user experience, and I know business development. So I can put these pieces together more effectively. And, you know, here this business is born. My graphic design skills come into play. I learned how to build websites. I learned how to edit my podcast myself because of my music production background. Um, and that's all come in handy with time and money. So it's huge to learn some of these skill sets because when you need updates on your website and you want to wait for some web designer, you're going to just waste so much time going back and forth and waiting on other people. So if you can do it yourself, including like your design stuff, it's a big benefit. Right. Absolutely. And just get it out there as, as quickly as you can. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, as you were creating some of these products and you maybe realized that they didn't quite fit you or you weren't able to launch them, uh, yeah. how how far did you take it before you realized that, you know what, it's not working out and it's time to pivot or quit? I've gotten to where I am through hard work and it's been at initially I thought that was maybe an asset and now I see it as a double edged sword because I will absolutely plow through things that maybe I should have quit through, you know, weeks ago or months ago and just to, yeah. to force them to work. So how, how do you know when to quit or how do you know when you're, when things aren't going to work? I don't know that there's a clear answer for that. I mean, I guess everybody's different and you have to go through your own experiences and say, you know, how do you feel about it when you wake up? Do you feel like it, like you have to have a little bit of a gut instinct. Like, is this, is this my path? Is this what I'm doing in 20 years? Am I going to be the plastic pollution expert and solve this problem? Like, you know, and, and if it's not sitting right, you have to be realistic with yourself and maybe not force the issue. And so I think one of the things you want to do and what I did a lot, remember I talked about that notebook is I went through a lot of steps to identify what is important to me. So there's a process of taking self inventory and, you know, creating your vision and understanding your real reasons of why you want to be an entrepreneur, why you want to, you know, help them make the world a better place. And then you go through this self inventory process and you understand what your values are and what's important to you. And you start identifying all this important information. And once you see that, you start looking at it and going, all right, so here's my skill sets. Here's what's important to me and all these things. And you're like, okay, well, now you can start seeing, well, is what I'm doing the right fit? Or maybe I need to make an adjustment to align more with these values and what I outlined here. So that's how I, how I started looking at it. And it just didn't feel like the right fit. So the, the, I have this free guide that I put my blood, sweat, and tears into online here, the Social Entrepreneur Startup Guide. And that's all the steps that I've taken. So I'm sharing what has worked for me, but also these are things I confirmed through a lot of discussions with entrepreneurs, through interviews and other ways to find out, well, how did you start? Did you take these steps? Are these important to you? Um, and I would say 99.9% .9 of them said, yes, I did a vision. I created a business plan. I, you know, I went through these processes. Um, so I shared exactly what all the steps were that I have taken to identify my passion, get on the right track, and then build a foundation that was uh, strong for this current business, Change Creator. No, that's some excellent tips uh, for sure. I think, you know, myself, I've definitely struggled. With, you mentioned that you're working for corporate and you've got this day job that you're doing, and I definitely did that for 12 years. Yeah. And I got into this mindset of that because, again, grew up as a only child to a single parent and money was really tight. And so my focus as I was growing up was – a lack of money creates stress. 
Yep. So therefore, if I have this opportunity to make more money, I should take it and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And by making those decisions, I made maybe eight or 10 of those decisions throughout my career to constantly kind of push the envelope, so to speak. After 12 years, I was in a place that I kind of got what I wanted, where I was really good financially, but I wasn't fulfilled at all. And I would drive into work and not want to be there like on the way to work I, and and my commute wasn't even that bad but on the way there it was yeah I totally know it. I know that feeling and it's not because the people you know the, uh, usually the people that you work with is what's the most important and I always worked with some mostly really good people but mm-hmm. it was just the work that I was putting out to at the end of the day I would say I gave this place my best eight or nine or ten hours and and I feel that it was a wasted day that yeah, I didn't accomplish yeah. anything and I didn't create anything that was worth the value to the world. And can I keep doing that for 30 years? And I would justify it by saying, oh, well, I'm making an income and I'm providing a living for my family and all these things, which are super important. And so it was really tough to make that balance. And so I had an opportunity to kind of reassess my values as I was laid off here recently at the end of June. You know, there's an oil and gas recession here. And I thought, man, what a perfect opportunity to kind of like pull back and explore. And I I can't believe how focused or how how much tunnel vision I had in my, but just by kind of going through the day to day of life. Absolutely. And it's easy to rationalize. I mean, it's a bit of a conundrum for people because it's like, yes, I have to make money. I have, it's the only way to have to live the lifestyle I want, but what are you sacrificing ultimately um, in order to get the money for the lifestyle you want? So you have to really consider that. And, you know, are you happier um, doing something that you're excited to wake up for and that means something to you every day? And maybe you don't realize it, but maybe you don't need as much money if you're doing that. So you have to understand how do you define success? Like what, what does happiness mean to you? Um, and so those things are important. And then if you're, if you're going to work every day, miserable, um, and just collecting paychecks and going through the motions, um, sounds great that you're helping your family, but you're also probably not the happy and inspired person living up to your greatest aspirations. Um, and that kind of projects off people too. You have an energy um, and your conversations are different because it's about how miserable you're at work or things are boring or whatever it is versus the exciting and um, enriched life that you might be explaining to people otherwise. Um, and you know, you might have a different kind of glow to yourself, if you will. Totally agree with that. I think uh, the last few months that I was working at my job, and it's, you know, we all knew that the end was coming, and you know, you're having to lay off parts of your team, and it's just not a good work environment. But still, I think we all fed from each other's negative energy, and it basically racing each other to, to the bottom in a way. Yeah, that's exactly exactly right. Um, yeah. And, and, and the negativity factor. Yeah. Who you surround yourself with. I can't tell you how important that is and they will bring you down. So your thoughts is where it starts. And if you're not thinking about things the right way, you're, you're going to go in circles and you're going to drag yourself down. So really, um, I'll throw out a book that changed, I don't know, it was so pivotal for me. It was T. Harv Ecker is the author, and he wrote a book called, um, I think it's the, my, the, the, the Mindset of a Millionaire, something like that. And, um, you know, it's not about money like it sounds. It's about thinking. And he says, listen, when you grow up, you're conditioned 
to think about money a certain way. And you, if you're going to make more money, you just have to understand that it's really about how you think. Um, and for example, if you hate money because it makes the world, you know, it's the root of all evil and all those things, which I totally get. Um, if that's the case, deep down subconsciously, well, when you have money, you're not going to hold on to it or you're just not going to make money because because you have that feeling. Why would you would you buy something that you hate? No. you. So if you if you hate money, you're not going to have much of it. Um, and it's this, the psychology behind what he was explaining really helped me shape uh, how I thought about it. Because I was the person that hated money. And I was like, you know, money is just does terrible things to people and how they behave. But um, if you can control that and see it for what it is, I mean, we live in this economic system. Yes, it has its problems. But when you can learn to control how you think about things and be more positive, um, you get more positive results. No, that's uh, thanks for bringing that book up. Now, Millionaire Mindset is pretty amazing. I've uh, I've read pieces of it and it's okay. I have this issue where I have like five books that I'm reading at the same time. Yeah. I definitely need to go and dive back into it. <laughs> you know, one of the things that you mentioned was keeping the right people around you. You know, I definitely believe that you're the average of the five people that you hang out with totally. the most. Um, can you name some ways of people finding other people like them or some mentors? Yeah, it can be a tough one. Um, yeah, but so I guess if, if you're going to a certain field and you're, you want to, and you're in town with somebody, I lived in Philadelphia. So, you know, I literally would hook up with someone that had, I find common ground with, um, and it may not be the most famous person in the world. That's, you know, the Ariana Huffington's, she's not going to go out to lunch with you. Um, but you can get people who have experience in your area and been down a certain path to a certain level ask them out for a cup of coffee. It works sometimes. I went through and I was just trying to find people that had success with like content planning and all that stuff as I was developing the magazine. And I literally asked probably, I went through LinkedIn, I was finding all these people and, and I would reach out to them and say, hey, I'm in New York. Uh, can we get a cup of coffee? I'd love to learn from you about this content planning stuff. And um I think pretty much 90% said never replied or said no, but then that one person connected. So you have to be willing to just throw yourself out there, start asking. Um, and it really helps to like, if you have something to offer them. So for me, I had this concept of this magazine. So when I started reaching out, it was, Hey, I have this magazine. I'd love for you to be on the cover. And that, that opens the door for a relationship. I now have a relationship with a great uh, entrepreneur, Joel Brown. He's the founder of Addicted to Success, and he's doing amazing things around self-development and coaching. Um, but because of my – I was actually reaching out to him about getting support for a crowdfunding campaign, which I never did. Um, and he turned around. He was like – and it happened to be a good time for him for a number of reasons with this movie he's in. And he just got back to me. He's like, hey. And we made a deal. I was like, great. I'll let's work together. I'd love to have you in the magazine. And he said, great. And now we have this relationship. And then he introduced me to other people. Um, and when I first started with Jake Orak on issue one, I reached out. He was the first person I got a cover uh, agreement with. And then his team referred me to three other people. So now I'm, I'm building this network. I have all these other social entrepreneurs, branding experts that are in the social entrepreneur space. And, you know, like uh, Ann Miltenberg, who I interviewed, awesome, awesome woman doing amazing things for social entrepreneurs. She's a branding expert. And so it, I just start networking and it starts building up. So now I'm surrounded and I have a whole contact list of amazing people. And, you know, 
So I had something to offer at that point. But when you don't, um, you want to connect with people that will have an understanding of what you're going through. So it is about how you position your email, um, where maybe you got to have some kind of game plan of what you're aspiring to that will connect to them emotionally. Um, and it's kind of like, hey, I know you've been here. Can you help me out? And nine times out of 10, people don't mind helping you out. It's just you might have to be a little persistent in asking. No, that's really good tips. You be prepared to uh, not get any responses back. I definitely uh, go through that a lot with the product startup, trying to get guests on the show. I'll, yeah. you know, I'll end up with maybe uh, at the at the end of the day, ten percent of the people that I ask are probably people that end up being guests. So you know, you have to just keep pushing forward. Well, and there's strategy there too. Obviously, it's like you know, I'm going to talk to person a and they have this level of success they're they're a lower barrier to to access right and then but when i have that uh and then the next person who's similar like now you have a couple like it was for me just as an example podcast or magazine i had a few established and then you get that next person because now your brand is established you look more professional and you get the next level person b and then if you want that a class person or, or whatever it is the high level person that you really want you know it's kind of like working up to it because then you can start saying hey well we've talked to this guy and this guy so what do you think you know and you you got to tee yourself up you, you got to so timing is important as well and I, you know, I could definitely dive into some of that, but I think I would do a disservice to everyone listening if I didn't ask you about content creation. You, you run an online magazine. Everyone that's listening to this that probably has a small business as a website presence, they know and I know the importance of creating content that is shareable, that drives traffic. Yeah. And people talk about in general, well, you need to create engaging content. And that annoys me a little bit because yeah. there's no, that is very difficult. It's very easy to say create engaging content. It's very difficult to actually make that content engaging. And yes, you can go online and look up what the top copywriters are saying about this is how to structure your titles, yeah. which is borderline clickbait, I think. <laughs> or to do things that are just driving traffic, yeah, but yeah. it may not even get any engagement. And I know I'm very frustrated with some of the content that I put out on Facebook because Facebook prioritizes different types of content over mine, even the, even the, with the people that like my page and follow me. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, so what are some ways of getting traction? And, and while you're answering that question, talk about quantity versus quality. Yeah, so... Um, I think that I, I agree. Forget engagement. I think it's the wrong word. It's really, well, what creates engagement to begin with? And, and what does that mean? Um, so, you know, there's before I ta tackle like what what is that? Um, you know, it's it is even knowing what content, how to approach it and what content. It's a matter of taking the time to write it or having someone else do it. So you'll even notice on our blog, like we just brought on a content strategist who's going to start helping with our blog content strategy. Right now it's been, you know, kind of halfway content that is about our interviews, which is good. It's all valuable. Um, but we're going to start getting more robust and more in depth. And sometimes you need some support to do that because it takes a lot of time and commitment to write what actually becomes an engaging article. Um, I know. So for the way I think about it is from actually, I took a writing class and it was by John Morrow. So anybody out there, John Morrow is really brilliant writer and he has classes and things like that, that are really, really helpful for content writing. Um, even it's, it was based on guest posting. Um, so anyway, 
the idea is you have to understand your audience. Um, what is their deepest wish? Okay. So one, you've got to know who you're talking to. Um, then you have to think about what's their deepest wish. And I like to then say, well, what are the results they're looking for? And that is based on their greatest fears and their greatest desires. You know, people, they, they don't want a ton of, you know, diet blog tips and all that stuff. They want to look good. That's the result, right? How would it look good in 10 days, whatever it is. And you can call it dinner talk. It's like when you sit down at the dinner table, what is the, the takeaways? When you just talk about something, it's, it's not like the process that you talk about. It's the end result. It's, you know, hey, I published a book today. Okay, so now my my article should be how to publish a book in six months, right? It's not it's not how to the process of creating a book and blah 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 like that, right? So it's really about understanding what they're afraid of, understanding what gets them, what their what their desires are, and then addressing them with very results based insight. And then of course the part that makes it engaging is one, you're hitting the key, the key elements of what they need to understand and what they want and need. And then because of that, that becomes valuable to them. And if it's valuable to them, well, guess what? They're going to engage with it and then they're going to share it. So it's really understanding that deeper psychological need from people. And the better you know who you're talking to and you want to define it and then maybe just make it one person, Sarah from Connecticut. She's between this age and that age. Her hobbies are this. Her interests are that. Her greatest fears are this. Her greatest desires are that. And once you really dive into that, you got to say, all right, I'm talking to Sarah. And what does Sarah want to hear from me right now? What is, where is she in her mindset and her journey in life? And what does she need for me to help her go to the next level in her life of success? If you can talk to that she's going to engage. So I think those are my thoughts on, on writing engaging content. Yeah. Excellent tips, especially about whittling down and finding who your target audience is and making sure yeah. that you have that avatar. Absolutely. As we near the end of the show, I always ask people for their top tips for people that are creating businesses that are mm. struggling and they haven't been able to kind of have the impact or get to where they're going. Um, maybe they're a little bit frustrated because they haven't made the progress that they want to make. What are some of the the tips that you'd give them to keep pushing to to take that next step? Well, I guess it depends on where they are in their journey, um, but it can be frustrating if you haven't found your sweet spot yet. So I think it's important to continuously assess yourself um, and take that kind of self inventory about what you're trying to do. So if you're in that early phase of, I'm not quite sure if this is the right uh, direction. Well, then just always look at yourself, understand why you're doing what you're doing and really look at your values as a person and what's important to you. And once you can really get realistic with that, um, you're going to find businesses that are important to you. And you might find what's your frustration in a sense, like is something in the world really ticking you off or, you know, like stuff like that. And those big challenges around the world are actually opportunities um, so you just got to find the problem you want to solve that aligns best to who you are as a person, what you believe in and what you love. Um, that'll that'll help you feel good about being persistent over time so you don't get frustrated. And, you know, everyone's going to go through ups and downs. So one of the most important things is it's not easy. And you have to understand that it's also not a sprint. It's a marathon. So it takes time. So you have to have persistence and with persistence, you have to have patience. 
you could take hits financially. You have to be willing to invest in yourself. I know it's scary. When I first started doing stuff, I was like, what, am I going to pay a thousand dollars to what, take this class? What is that? Am I really going to do anything with that? Or am I just going to waste my money? And if you're not willing to invest in yourself, I promise you, you're not going anywhere. So invest in yourself, make sure you're aligning to things that you love and you understand what's important to you um, and be willing to be persistent and just show up every day and just move the needle a little bit. Great tips, Adam. Thank you for sharing that with us. If we wanted to get more information about what you do and connect with some of the entrepreneurs and listen to some of the stories and read the, the articles that you write, where could we find that? Yeah, so just go to www.changecreatormag.com and um, we've got tons of good stuff. So, you know, some great tools like our Facebook formula, the startup guide, depending on what you're trying to do, that will really help kind of boost uh, your success in those things. Um, and like I said, that startup guide will take you through the early on steps that will help you really identify what you, what the direction you want to go. Um, and then obviously the, the, the important piece of the puzzle is the magazine, and that's kind of like your tool set to accompany your journey, to get inspired and surround yourself with those social entrepreneurs, people that are doing inspiring work uh, so that it will spur ideas, learnings about their marketing, their branding, and just how they're doing these things and how they're tackling what seem to be impossibly large problems. Um, I can't tell you enough. We put so much time and effort into making it a valuable asset. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the price. You can get a whole year's worth. We release six a year right now every other month. And, you know, 1999, it's, you know, you want to go out to lunch in New York, you're getting a whole year's worth of our blood, sweat and tears to, to help you on your journey, or you do a $1.99 a month, which is just kind of a drop in the bucket. So for that kind of offer, hopefully you guys find that value. And our goal is to make it low barrier access and just give you the best info that we can. Great. No, and you do some really well-designed work. I downloaded some of your PDFs and I have to say that the layout of all the pages is visually really interesting and definitely know what you're talking about when you're talking about creating, <laughs> creating brands and, and doing that strategy. Thank you. So Adam, thanks again for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom and your story and, sure. and encouraging all of us to take that next step in creating something that has a larger presence that makes a bigger impact in the world. I appreciate you having me. It was, uh, it was fun. And that's all I have for today's episode. Thank you again for joining me. If you've got questions, comments, as usual, I've put all the links that we've covered under the show notes posted on the productstartup.com slash episode 29. So join me next time as I speak with Josh Smith. He's a forester turned designer turned perfumer. In the last year of his industrial design degree, he started Libertine Fragrance as a way to learn the other side of product development that his industrial design degree didn't teach him. And so we dive into a lot of those lessons that he learned in the next episode. So don't forget to tune into that next week. If you're on Facebook, let me know what you thought of this episode and what you'd like to hear about next. You can get to my Facebook page through at the product startup. Thanks again for joining me, everybody. I really appreciate your comments and for listening to the show, and I hope that it helps you take that next step. I hope it gets you closer to the goal of launching your own product or licensing your product, and I will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast with your host, Philip Valitza. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit theproductstartup.com. Your guide to getting there. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.